I mean, bottom line, and and if, if if people get nothing else out of this, if something does not feel right, then then talk to your doctor about it because, right. you know, I've never said to myself, I've I've seen some of the craziest simple complaints you can think of, but I have never said to myself, geez, why did they come in here? Are you going through a difficult time? Are you experiencing a season of life that has tested your faith? Hey sister, I'm Rachel Williams and I'm right there with you. I've walked through divorce, single parenting, and in December of 2021, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. I know what it means to feel lost, scared, and defeated. But the good news is that I know that God uses all things for good for those who love Him. I know that He has a plan for me of hope in the future. I want to pass that faith-based confidence on to you. So welcome to your new safe place. Enter into a community where you can be comfortable as we dig into biblical truths and discover hope for encouragement in your life. Because I believe that you are capable of powering through this season with tangible and actionable tools to rely on when you begin to feel hopeless. I'm here today to tell you, friend, that you can walk in godly freedom even when it's hard. It begins with uncovering God's promises in your life and arming yourself with God's truth so that you can conquer whatever hardships that you encounter. I'm here to guide you through the valley so that you can really live in truth and light. Let's shift our mindset from victim to victorious because we are warriors. So come fight with me, sister. Grab some coffee. Let's do this. Welcome back to the She is a Warrior podcast. I am so glad that you are joining us today. Um, I'm super excited for today's episode. Our guest today is perhaps one of the smartest people that I know. He is a powerhouse of knowledge in terms of any medical questions that I may need answering. But more importantly, I believe, is his biblical knowledge. We used to be in the same Sunday school class, and I was always amazed by how much he knew about the Bible and where to find information. And just his understanding of God's Word has always been very admirable to me. Um, He can sing. He can literally play any instrument out there. I'm telling you, he's just gifted. Um, He and his wife and children have been friends of mine for for many years. You've heard me mention my attempt at being a runner. Um, His wife was one of the ones that I got to enjoy that season of life with. She got to see me struggle in many races. Um, Well, I, I say that she saw me. I was actually way behind her, but she got to see me at the finish line after she'd already showered, you know, taken a nap, eaten lunch taking another nap. Um, anyway, our, um, our interview was actually so packed with what I feel to be beneficial information that I have broken it into two episodes. So today you will hear about preventative screening from a medical professional's point of view. And then next week we'll discuss how our faith plays a role in our healing journey. So without further ado, Um, Will Bacon is a board-certified family nurse practitioner working in primary care. He currently works in Statesboro, Georgia at Southeast Medical Group, formerly Candler Internal Medicine, and he's been there a little over a year now. He earned his Master's of Nursing, FNP track, in 2021 from Georgia Southern University. Prior to that, he worked as a registered nurse in the emergency department at East Georgia Regional Medical Center for seven years, having earned his Bachelor's of Nursing from GSU in 2014. He also has a degree in finance from the University of Georgia and worked in the field of managerial 
I probably said that wrong, accounting before making a huge career change to healthcare. But that's a topic for another episode. He has been married to his lovely wife, Dory, for over 18 years, and they have three beautiful children, Polk, Jacob, and Juliet. So I hope that you're ready to, um, to gain a lot of knowledge today. So let's get started. Welcome, Will. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. I know um, just a minute ago we were talking about our crazy day. So I appreciate yep. you being with me. <laughs> well, no, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited. Thank you for that, for that introduction. Uh, honored to be on the show. I, I'm I gotta stay right off the top. I've I've been uh, a super fan from day one. <laughs> I've uh, I've listened to all the episodes. I think they're they're fantastic. I only have one one critique, and that is that uh, uh, you you keep mentioning uh, talking about the sisters. Come grab your coffee. You're you're you, you don't realize that that I, I listen as well, and there are probably other men who listen as well, and we're getting just as much out of it. So okay. I think you're cutting off half of your listening audience by, uh, by saying that, but no, uh, no, it's been great. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed everything you've had to say and it's just been very inspirational. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, no, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize that so many, I've, I've had a few say things, so I guess I need to change my terminology there, but <laughs> all right. But, no, um, so before we begin, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, um, what was it exactly that caused you to make such a dramatic career shift? Goodness, uh, that's a great question, and probably I could spend the entirety of a, of a podcast talking about that, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. So um, I grew up in uh, the Atlanta area. I graduated from high school in 2000 and went to the University of Georgia. Did not really know uh, what it was that I wanted to study when I went there. Uh, um, I, I'm a musician. I play guitar and bass. And at the time, I was playing in like three different bands, and I was much more into that than I was in studying. And uh, so I just kind of fell into uh, something there. My dad suggested. He said, hey, why don't you do accounting? Because accountants always have a job. I said, okay, sure. Took my first accounting class, and that was a no-go for me. Uh, so I ended up doing finance. Uh, just kind of barely graduated. Uh, and, um, by that point, um, I was engaged, uh, uh, to my wife, Dory, that you mentioned. And, um, we got married after we graduated. I, I worked, um, uh, a few different jobs after we got married, just, uh, not doing anything in particular that excited me. Um, I, I, I worked, uh, mostly for, uh, um, construction companies just kind of doing accounting, which is the thing I swore I wouldn't do. Um, but uh, in 2009, uh, there was uh, a, a big, um, a, lot, a lot of people remember there were, there was uh, um, some, some troubling financial times and, and my company um, laid a lot of people off and, and I was one of the ones who got laid off. And I just kind of used that as an opportunity to really evaluate um what it is that I truly wanted to do. Um, I, I did not enjoy the work that I had been doing, and it was a time of, of, uh, uh, of great trial where uh, we were pregnant with our first child at the time, um, and I was jobless and did not have any job prospects, and I just, I just prayed and you know, asked God to um, show me uh, where he would have me go, where he'd have me spend my life. And, and in addition to prayer, I just, I did a lot of, uh, um, kind of 
career aptitude tests, read a lot of books, that sort of thing. Um, and one thing that kept coming up was, uh, was nursing, which is not something that I had ever um, thought I would do before. Um, no one in my family had been in healthcare, and I was probably one of those people who thought that, uh, that nurses, that was, you know, that chauvinist thought that's probably a, a female's job. Right. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't feel that way now. Um, but, uh, uh, so I, I, the more I investigated it, I just thought, you know what, this is, this seems really a lot like me, you know, getting to help other people, find them in their time in their time in their place of need, help them out. I get to work with my hands. I get to be on my feet. I get to do all these things. And, um, so I just jumped, um, when I was 29 years old, I, I jumped fully in and, and, uh, uh, enrolled in, in classes at, uh, Georgia Southern university, finished my, um, uh, my second bachelor's degree in, in nursing and worked in the emergency department for a few years, uh, about six, seven years. And then, and then, uh, during that time went back to nurse practitioner school. So, uh, that's kind of a long story. Um, uh, what, what caused me to make the, the, the career shift was, uh, uh, just, you know, just following God's lead and, 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 um, and in a time of need. So, so that's the, that's the long and the short answer. Okay. Well, I think that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's very rare that, you know, a child comes out of high school because they're still children. You know, we are when we graduate, honestly knowing what they want to do with their lives. So, um, I definitely, I thought I did, and then I changed my mind, but you and I are both a testament to the fact that it's never too late. Um, of course I stayed home with our girls until Molly was in first grade. Um, so I didn't go back to finish my degree to be a teacher until I was like 35. So, um, right. I'll, you know, I'll be 103 before I can actually retire, but you know, it, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, retiring is overrated anyway, I think. Oh gosh. I don't know. I don't know. I just see all these teachers Uh, getting to that age and I'm so jealous. There's no light in it for me, but exactly. No, I, I, you know, I I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there, there is, uh, and, and actually I've had people call me and, and this is something unexpected, but they said, you know, I've, I'm thinking about making a change too. And, and I was inspired by what you did and what made you decide that? And I was like, gosh, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking those big terms at the time. It was right. just more of, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a faith thing. Really. God, God led me, um, uh, uh, to that during, during that time. And, um, so yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's, that's kind of how I that think, came about. I think that's awesome. So, so tell us a little about your experience and background with, with women's health in particular. Yeah, sure. So, okay. Um, so let me talk a little bit about the role of the nurse practitioner, what my job is. Um, so uh, obviously, you, you, everyone knows what a physician does as a, as a medical provider. Um, as someone who goes to medical school, and then picks a specialty and then uh, diagnoses, treats um, patients, writes prescriptions, orders labs, all those things. Um, the uh, um, nurse practitioner is a relatively new role, having only been around for about 50 years now, where uh, someone who is a nurse practitioner, uh, I get this question a lot, what is, an, what is an NP? So it is a person who went to... Uh, school to, to get a, a, a registered nurse certification through a bachelor's program it has to be a four-year bachelor's program after which that person typically has about five years of experience working as a bedside nurse and then goes into 
uh, nurse practitioner school, which is typically about two and a half years. Um, and upon graduating and getting certification, the NP, uh, depending on what they specialize in, which right now it's typically uh, a primary care nurse practitioner or family nurse practitioner, which is what I am, or acute care nurse practitioner. There's also um, specialties for pediatrics and women's health nurse practitioners. Um, these are all cons- considered your, your advanced uh, nurse practitioner degrees. Um, but at that point, uh, we, we essentially do a lot of the same, almost all of the same tasks that a physician or a PA does, um, wherein we, we visit with our patients, we uh, uh, diagnose medical issues, um, write prescriptions, follow, create a, create a care plan. So that's kind of the broad overview of, of what I do. And, and as I said, I'm a family nurse practitioner. The difference is uh, between somebody in primary care and acute care is what I like to call the horizontal versus the vertical patients. So a horizontal patient, somebody that can walk through your door, we call it ambulatory care. Typically pretty healthy. They may have a little bit of sickness going on, but a lot of what we do there is preventative care. And then acute care obviously takes place in the hospital, uh, uh, horizontal patient somebody who's, who's, who's laying in bed and you, and you work with them that way. That's just a simple way of saying it. Okay. So, and I'm sorry, you cut me off if I'm talking too much. I no, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> but so, um, my experience and background with women's health actually quite interesting. So, um, when I first got into NP school, there are several rotations that nurse practitioner students have to do to get, um, their, um, precepting hours, their clinical hours in. Um, and a lot of those are in, um, primary care, um, family medicine, internal medicine, that sort of thing. Um, but we also do uh, rotations in pediatrics and in women's health. Now, women's health, I'll be honest, was not one that I was overly looking forward to doing. <laughs> I understand. Um, because <laughs> I'm a guy. However, I could not have been more wrong about the experience because I absolutely loved it. And a lot of that had to do with the particular preceptor that I had. Um, who happens to be your doctor as well. Right. Um, and uh, I was so blessed and so fortunate that he decided to take me on um, to be his student um, because he, quite frankly, doesn't do that very often. And um, uh, I, I knew him uh, through a little bit through working at the hospital, but also he, he had um, um, you know, uh, helped with, with our um, twins' birth. And so I just reached out to him and he said, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. And, and, and wow, what a blessing that was because, um, he, uh, um, kind of just threw me in the deep end and I loved that. I mean, he was taking me into surgeries. He was taking me into, um, um, to deliveries. I helped deliver several babies when I was with him and gosh, there's just nothing more spectacular than seeing that miracle happen and being a part of that. I can imagine. Um, But uh, just such a, such a great teacher. So, um, I really loved, uh, that, that entire experience. That was, uh, probably my favorite, um, clinical experience that I had, um, during that time. So, so yeah, that, he was the, the one that kind of, kind of stoked my interest. So, so what I do now in primary care, um, is I'll see patients, um, really of any age, but, uh, I do, I do still see a lot of, um, um, women's health patients that are there specifically for women's health reasons. I see, I see a little bit of everything. I do, um, chronically ill patients, um, patients with diabetes, hypertension, um, hyperlipidemia, 
renal disease, I'll, I'll see I'll see those patients and manage their care. Um, I see your your good bit of the 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 sniffles and things that people have during certain times of the year, which we're having a lot of right now. Yeah. Um, and and then and then I'll see a lot of wellness exams. So in um, the wellness exams, which I think we're going to touch on in a little bit here, um, a lot of it has to do with uh, with women's health and preventative health screenings. So that's kind of the uh, uh, my experience there. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Hiller is amazing. I've, I mentioned him in a previous episode. You know, he's he's the one I've been going to since the teenage years when I experienced all the you know the the hormonal type deals. But uh, right. I can see how he would be an excellent teacher. And fun fact, I was actually pregnant with my youngest, with Carter, when when you were. Well, I know you know this, but our listeners wouldn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when when Will was in this rotation with this doctor, so he got to be a small part of that journey with us. Which I'm sure was fun for you when, when you were going through that and I stepped in the door. Hey, Rachel. How's you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. We were sitting there talking, actually, uh, and we were t- catching up with old times, and that was all right. fine. And you walked out the room, and Dr. Hiller walked in, and I was like, listen. <laughs> I was like, he cannot be in the room when I delivered. That would just be too awkward. Yeah. No, no, no. I, um, I, I but your your rotation well. was actually completely over, and you were out of the office by the time he was born. So that all the, all the awkwardness, you know, <laughs> crisis averted. But yeah, anyway, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't speak more highly of a person. I really, I think he's the best. Yes, he is awesome. Um, but on to more specific questions in terms of my sure. mission. My mission here. So, um, how effective? You know, from your perspective, do you believe that breast self-exams and routine clinical exams alone are in regards to early detection of breast cancer? Mm, great question. Um, the answer is not very. Um, I gave a lot of long answers before. That's the shortest one I'll give. Okay. <laughs> so, no, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. No, they, they are not very effective in... And as you, you put it very well, early detection of, of breast cancer. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Hiller would tell you this as well because, um, and I don't want to misquote him here, but I think he told me, you know, he does these, he's been doing this, gosh, 20, 30 years. And I think he told me he's never picked up uh, an early breast cancer through a clinical breast exam. Wow. And you think about how many thousands and thousands he's performed. Right. Um, it has to be very late in the process before something um, that we check clinically uh, would would be an area of concern. So so let's kind of break those down. What what is what is the difference? So um, self breast exams are exactly what they sound like. Um, you're at home. You're palpating. You're feeling for any irregularities, uh, any lumps, things like that. Um, and the 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 most uh, modern evidence, the best evidence that we have right now, is that we're actually teaching women not to do those. Um, because, uh, you may find something that is completely benign and be completely worried about something that, that, that's not there. And again, can't stress this enough. Just feeling alone, um, is not going to give you enough information. Um, and as far as clinical breast exams go, these are, these are the ones that are done by the provider in the office, which kind of an aside here, um, uh, so a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with these exams. This is when you're, you know, completely naked and you're wearing a paper gown and you're sitting on a table and we're trying to make small talk. Exactly. And you know, <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Just up. so how are the kids, you know, just exactly when you're, yeah. Uh, so it's a little awkward for everyone. <laughs> um, but, but 
always, and this is this is to protect you, the patient, protect us, the provider. If there's a male that is um, conducting the breast exam, always ask to have a female present in the room. Um, that's something that we should just do instinctively. Um, but again, if, if not, if, if you have a provider that forgets, just just always say, "Hey, can you have um, can you have someone else step in here?" That's just an aside. Um, that's for the clinical breast exam and for the pelvic exam. So, um, okay. So in the clinical breast exam, uh, you know, we have you move your arm above your head, kind of at your side, moving up and down feeling. And, um, uh, we are feeling for, um, just what I would say are gross irregularities. So something like a very hard, immovable lump, um, something like that. Again, that would be a sign of a late-stage breast cancer. So to answer your question, going back to the original question, it is not um, at all good enough. Either one is good enough for the detection of early breast cancer. Okay. And I'm glad we cleared that up because, you know, I told my experience with my cancer diagnosis and, you know, each clinical exam where there was nothing felt, you know, I mm-hmm. I've, I think it was like a false sense of security and thinking that everything sure. everything must be fine. Um, and it definitely wasn't. And I think that's also why, you know, once he did feel the area, you know, he was very adamant in getting things going very quickly because, what, you know, what you said, because it was it was late stages at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think it's important to note here that, you know, my, my doctor's office did attempt to set up mammograms for me. Um, they never led mm-hmm. me to believe that it wasn't necessary. You know, I do think that was, you know, very important to note. You know, they're, they, it, it was not their neglect. It was mine. So anyway, so to... Well, go ahead. It, it's, it's, it, so it's interesting that you say that too. Sorry. Um, because... Um, I think it's important for people to realize, um, to see both sides of, of the equation because, um, you know, as, as providers, we get 15 minutes with a patient, you know, um, and that means going over their medical history, their surgical history, their medications, um, their um, chief complaints, if they have any, creating a plan of care, writing prescriptions, and filling out all of the, the chart, meaning everything we did, including physical exam. It's a lot to do in 15 minutes. Right. Um, that's why people mostly complain. Why do I have to wait so long when I get to the doctor? Well, because people don't stick to that 15 minute time plan. It's not. It doesn't work that well. Um, so, you know, it, my my point in that is is that we like to instinctively go through and check our little boxes. Did we check this? This looks good. This looks good. And so we're not looking for those abnormal things. Um, so, you know. That, that those things that are kind of in the back of your mind that you may not bring up. So that's why I'm just saying just bring that up every single time um, and speak up for yourself. Nobody knows about your body more than you do. Right. And also these diseases, they don't read the textbook. You know, yes, we know what most of the time the presentation is going to be, but that's not going to be every single time. Um, so, so anyway, all that being said, I know you said that, that they, uh, they wanted to set you up the, the mammogram, but even if they hadn't, um, that's just kind of what I wanted to say about that is that always, always speak up for yourself, understand, um, that the provider is pressed for time, but, uh, that's all more reason for you to be adamant about asking about things that don't feel right. Right. And I've, I've said that several times and I'll say it again, probably in this episode, 
you know, is just advocate for yourself. You know your body more than anybody. If there's something right. that you know isn't right, then then say something because, you know, exactly for that that reason. But um, piggybacking off of that, you know, from a clinical perspective, what do you believe to be the most effective form of screening to detect early stage breast cancer? Um, that one's pretty easy. It's the, it's mammograms, okay. the digital mammography. Um, that is still the gold standard. Um, so, so what is it? And I've, I've heard <laughs> you, you referred to it in an earlier episode as a, a booby sandwich, I think, <laughs> yes, uh, which I, I love. Um, started using that with some of my patients. Um, <laughs> so, uh, mammogram is going to take, um, uh, it's an x-ray. So the, the breast is pulled away from the body. It's compressed and held between two glass plates. Quite violently, and, might I add. Not to scare anybody. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know from personal experience, but I've heard. <laughs> um, and it's going to take two x-rays of each breast from, from top um, to bottom and from side to side. Okay. Um, so uh, in, in the old days, we put them on film. Now we put them digitally. Everything's computerized right now. So those images are read by a radiologist. And breast cancer, which is, is denser than, than healthy breast tissue, is going to appear as an irregular white area. So, again, that's still the gold standard for, um, uh, for testing for, for breast cancer. There are some other ways. Uh, ultrasound can be used not as a primary tool for screening, but if there's some confusion about an area, they may order an additional ultrasound to see to get a, a better look at that area. There's also something that is um, uh, fairly new called um, digital tomosynthesis. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, But um, it it, it proves to be really um, uh, fascinating. I don't know a whole lot about it right now, but um, uh, it's essentially a three-dimensional picture of the the breast using x-rays. So instead of that four picture, you're going to get a 360-degree digital um, 3D picture. And um, so it's not considered yet as the standard of care, but hopefully we'll get there and, and, and it can um, help us uh, not get as many false positives as we get now. So a lot of, a lot of things, um, uh, you know, that are, that are exciting and, and changing in that area. Okay, good. Um, but, you know, when talking about mammograms, you know, to my knowledge... I believe the recommended age for yearly mammograms is 40. Um, some literature that I found has even said 50 years old. Um, you know, I'm, I just turned 39 yesterday and, you know, this was oh, discovered <laughs> over, well, thank you, <laughs> over a year ago and it had been there a while, obviously. So, mm-hmm. you know, in your experience, what do you think about the age recommendation and, and what is your advice here? Because I know several women you know, just to my knowledge, that have been diagnosed right. well before 40. So so right. what is your advice, you know, pertaining to this? So that's the, the million-dollar question, as it were. Um, and there are several different agencies that have different opinions on this. Um, now, what's important to say is that it, it, when I'm sharing this, it has nothing to do with my own experience or my personal opinion or really and truly the opinion of any one provider. Um, we are going on uh, evidence that is collected from um, clinical studies that have been done over many, many years, um, uh, double-blind studies culminating in meta-analyses have all kind of brought us to these recommendations. Now, that being said, 
and, and I have to be very careful with, with what I say here. Um, so, so I brought my notes out. Um, so there is no uh, professional society that recommends uh, breast cancer screening before the age of 40 for someone who um, is considered uh, to be at low risk for breast cancer. Okay, so 85% of women are what we would consider to be in that low risk category, meaning they don't have a, um, a first degree relative, a mother, a sister, um, not talking about grandparents or aunts or anything like that, but a mother, a sister, or a child with, with breast cancer. That would be considered a first degree relative. Um, there are other risk factors that we can talk about in just a second, but if someone is considered to be of average risk, then um, they say 40, 40 is the age. Now you say, well I, well, I was younger than that. I know other people were younger than that as well. Um, that's very true. Uh, it is important to point out that there are um, some risks with conducting mammograms too early. Um, and, and I've already alluded to one of them, and that is false positives. Um, this is a pretty, pretty fascinating statistic that women who get regular screening uh, mammograms have a 50% rate of a false positive throughout their life. That's half of the women that will get a false positive on their mammogram. So think about that. They don't have cancer, but they say, hey, we saw something on your mammogram, right? Yeah. So at that point, it's ordering more tests. It's possibly doing needle biopsy, which is a painful procedure, but also just the psychological impact of, hey, I might have cancer, you know. Right. Um, we're trying to lower that number a lot. Uh, uh, mammograms are what we call very um, sensitive, but not specific, meaning that they can pick something up, but we aren't always specific on what that something is. So that's something that has to be taken into consideration. Um, and, and to do that, we look at the data. Um, one thing that, and, and I have to be very careful here because it, it could get to a, a personal thing with you, and I, and I certainly don't want to do that. One thing that listeners need to know is that your case is very, very rare. I think you've probably been told that. Yeah. Um, that that um, it is extremely rare for somebody under the age of 40 with no um, family history of first degree relatives um, to, uh, to develop metastatic breast cancer. I know that's not a whole lot of consolation to you. <laughs> I know. I really yeah, wish I'd, I'd be one of those one. very rare people to like win the lottery or something, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Wrong. That'd be a lot <laughs> um, so, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. The diseases don't read the book. So, so um, if you are, and, and you've talked about this as well, Let's say you're not 40 years old, but there is something that is just concerning to you. And you tell your doctor, you know, I'd like to get screened for this. We'll probably ask questions like, do you have anybody um, in your family that are first degree relatives that have breast cancer? What age were they diagnosed with breast cancer? Was it before they were 40? Was it after they're 40? Was it after they're 50? Um, and so on and so forth. There are also some other risk factors like um, having the first birth of your child after the age of 30, um, long-term oral contraceptive usage. 
things like that are all slight, slightly more risk factors. Um, so if you're that woman and you're 35 years old and, and you're just concerned um, for uh, for those types of reasons, um, then then push for it by all means. You know, a good a good doctor, or a good nurse practitioner, or PA will 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 make the report show that this is this is warranted, so that your insurance will pay for it. Even not if you want to pay out of pocket to get a, a mammogram done, it's I don't know two hundred dollars. You know, um, so not cheap, but not you know not going to break the bank if it's going to give you that much more um, right. Um, you know. Uh, reassurance. But again, all that being said, um, the World Health Organization, the American Cancer Society, um, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists all state that for um, women of average risk of breast cancer, beginning um, uh, now, you said sometimes 40, sometimes 50. Why, why, why the sometimes? Because the between 40 and 50 it is recommended that you just discuss with your provider, um, uh, and, and, and you come up you come up with a, um, I guess a, a, a shared decision on that. Um, definitely, by the age of fifty, you should have mammograms every two years. Now, I again, I'm one of these that I say when my patients turn forty, let's go ahead and do a mammogram every two years. Right. You know. Um, uh, so so if you're in that camp and you're, and you're wanting to be that way, then, then certainly start at age 40, have one every two years. Um, and then every two years until you turn 75, um, we stop doing them after the age of 75. Um, so, uh, and, and it sounds callous, I suppose to say it this way, but usually after that age, something else is, is going to end up, you know, causing, causing death. Um, so again, these are all just recommendations. Um, and um, there are also several different models that can um, assess your particular risk for uh, developing breast cancer, which, again, you know, um, something to talk to your, to your doctor about. If you, if you have that family history, you are concerned about it, there's genetic testing that can be done. Um, I usually would send that patient to a specialist to discuss those things, and, and that would be like BRCA testing, things that uh, te- detect gene mutations that would say this particular gene is um, it ha- show- shows a mutation that would make this person more susceptible to having breast cancer. So, so all those things have to be taken into consideration. Okay. I hope that answers your question some. Yeah, yeah, but, it does. And I think, once again, it goes back to just you know, knowing your body and knowing if there is something that you feel like needs, you know, I, I don't want listeners to become hypochondriacs, but if there right. is something that you notice that you, you know, women have intuition, it's a real thing, <laughs> you know, if you just feel yep. like something isn't right, you know, speak up and, and do something, you know, like you said, even if insurance denies it, you know, right. if it's that something of that magnitude, paying out of pocket's not that you know, Absolutely. Would, it would Could definitely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. Would agree. Yeah. yeah. I think that definitely is really beneficial information. Um, so thank you for clearing that up. But sure. anyone that has listened to my story knows about my history of fibrocystic breast changes. And with this, you know, yeah. I had, you know, like you said, so many areas of concern. Um, but I, it got to the point where I literally couldn't afford to have every single one of them checked out. So 
I, I, you've already touched on this a little bit, but um, sure. are all noticeable changes worthy of a trip? You know, like we said, you don't want us to give unnecessary worry, but are there any common indicators or what? when do you know you need to see a doctor? Sure. So, uh, great question. Um, let's talk about benign breast lumps for a minute um, because they are extremely common. Um, over 50% of the women are going to have some type of lump in their breast at some point in their life um, that you're like, hmm, that shouldn't be there, you know. So there are essentially two types of benign breast lumps. Um, there's fibroadenomas. Um, you don't need, listeners don't need to write this down. Um, but uh, a fibroadenoma is, um, uh, it, it's really just a fibrous piece of tissue just like the same type of tissue that would connect bones, you know, with, with, um, with ligaments and that sort of thing. Um, and they tend to grow in, in, in younger women between the ages of 15 and 25. They, they tend to be smooth, uh, kind of rubbery round and they they move around and they're not tender. Those are, those are completely normal. And some women have none. Some women have a lot of them. Um, that's something that you should, um, you know, be aware of what it is, discuss it with your doctor, but not necessarily, ooh, I found another one, I have to go to my doctor, right? Um, so a cyst is another benign um, uh, finding, and, and, and they tend to be uh, also um, kind of kind of mobile. You can move them around. They're usually a little more tender, though. They're, fi- they're filled with fluid, um, and they, they become a lot more prevalent, clo- prevalent closer to menopause, and they can also become more sore, and even cause breast engorgement um, prior to um, uh, getting your period. Um, so those would be those would be cysts. So um, fibrocystic changes—that's kind of you know a, a little bit of both, if you will. It's kind of like that rope-like um, kind of nodules. Again, you're still talking about benign um, benign lumps there. Um, so cancer uh, in the breast is going to be typically painful. It's going to be typically harder and not, and and kind of irregular in size, not like that roundness, but just like an irregularity. Um, When you kind of get to that point where there's palpable cancer within the breast, um, you know, obviously that, that would be, as we were talking about earlier with a clinical breast exam, the sign of, of a late stage. Um, so when should you go to your doctor? Um, if you notice something that really should not be there. Um, so like I said, a painful, hard lump that's irregular in size, inverted nipples where the nipple is literally drawn in upon itself, um, because it's attached to, uh, um, cancer cells, um, discharge from the nipples that are, um, uh, and, and I apologize for getting gross here, but, you know, that could have blood in it or anything like that. Um, you know, some women do have discharge that, that is normal. Um, that tends to be from both sides, but if it's from one side and it's, and it's kind of an ugly color, that's a, that's a huge area of concern. Um, any type of dimpling, uh, swelling, a changing of the contour, any of those things, um, should be, um, should be uh, a, a definite um, risk factor that you should talk to your doctor about. I go, kind of going back to a minute about fibrosis um, or, or simple cysts, n- n- neither of those increase your li- risk of developing breast cancer. That's one thing to know 
that, that people should know. Um, if I have fibrocystic changes within my breast, that in and of itself is not considered a risk factor. Right. Okay. But one thing it does do is, in my case, like, I would feel something and be like, oh, that's just another one. And, you know, that's kind of what I wrote off the real thing as. Sure. Um, is it's just another one. It'll be fine. Every other one is fine. So it's kind of, a, I understand that it doesn't in itself create risk, but I think it creates a... Um, numbness always you know yeah, in some way absolutely so anyway yeah, because you said you can't you you couldn't afford to just say okay well this is another one you know it, it, you'd be there every other week but i mean bottom line and and if, if if people get nothing else out of this if something does not feel right then then talk to your doctor about it because right. you know i've never said to myself i've, I've seen some of the yeah, goodness um most craziest simple complaints you can think of but I have never said to myself geez why did they come in here you know what I mean right I would always always rather somebody get something checked out than ignore something and it'd be really bad always always so so the simple answer to that question is ask ask your provider such great information there um thank you friends for joining us i pray that it has blessed you or grown you in some way if you have any further questions about anything that was discussed today please join our facebook community and ask away Um, If I can't answer your question, I will for sure find someone who can. Um, As mentioned earlier, please join us back next week as we resume with part two of our interview with Will. We will discuss the importance of our walk with the Lord and our healing journey. Will will impart some of his biblical wisdom with us. You don't want to miss it. So um, I'm going to close us out with prayer today. Dear Lord, thank you for those in the medical field that have a heart for serving. We are so appreciative that you have paved the way for so many individuals to learn and make a difference in the health and well-being of our communities. We pray that you will speak truth and life to them and guide them in their decisions and learning experiences so that they can truly make an impact. We pray that you will be with all of those who are struggling right now. Help them to see that their problems serve a purpose. Help them to look for you moving in their lives and know without a shadow of a doubt that you are in control and you will never forsake us. It is in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, friend, for joining us today. Again, please join our Facebook community and let me know how I can pray for you. Also, if you could give our podcast a review, I would so much appreciate that. I'm tuning in every Wednesday for inspiration and encouragement as we work together to overcome challenges. Be intentional, sister, in your pursuit of Jesus, even in the valley, so that when others see you, they'll know she is a warrior.